Welcome to The Litigation War Room, where you will hear great stories and great insights from some of the nation's most accomplished courtroom lawyers. Here is your host, litigation attorney, Maxwell Goss. On this episode, I interviewed Troy Doucette, a leading foreclosure defense attorney, law entrepreneur, and accomplished author. Troy has written a book called The Art of War for Lawyers, which takes insights from the classic work, The Art of War, and applies them to modern litigation. Troy talks about developing a winning strategy and expounds on the five factors every litigator needs to master to get great results for clients. Troy also talks about his foreclosure practice in his new legal e-learning venture. I hope you will enjoy this very interesting interview. Troy Doucette, welcome to the Litigation War Room. Hello, thanks for having me. Troy, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. I look forward to talking with you about your foreclosure defense practice and an interesting online business that you've started. And also talking to you about your book, The Art of War for Lawyers. I've got a podcast called The Litigation War Room. How could I not interview the author of The Art of War for Lawyers? So I really appreciate your agreeing to be on the show today. Yeah, there you are. Happy to be here. Before we get into some of those topics, can you tell our listeners about your practice and about your law firm? Sure. Uh, so I'm a foreclosure defense lawyer. I, I'm really under the auspice of consumer law. Uh, my office is located in Columbus, Ohio. We do work all around the state. My firm has helped about 1,400 folks, about 2,000 matters. Uh, I've been involved with um, a number of cases, uh, dozens of federal appellate decisions, or cases rather, a uh, few that, that have been uh, really positive in the consumer realm. And my energy and, and focus has been on, on helping individuals. So uh, my firm has, has been large, been small, depending on what's going on in the economy. But our focus has always been on, on pretty much helping people in litigation. We're a litigation-based practice. And you've been doing that from day one, pretty much, foreclosure defense and related consumer areas? Yeah, this is the second career for me. I was in the mortgage business for a few years before that uh, industry imploded, and, and as did my business, my my personal life at the time. Going back to school and then finishing up my undergrad, actually, then going on to law school. So I graduated law school in 2010 and uh, and did this right out the chute. This is you know I was right in the the throes of the foreclosure crisis, so it made a lot of sense for me to help people out. I actually did a lot of work with in law school, both with legal aid, helping them on the foreclosure defense side. I audited loans for for lawyers nationally um, because there wasn't really a practice area called foreclosure defense back then, 2007, 8, 9, when I was in law school. Um, I was doing so much work there that I actually published my first book, uh, 23 Legal Defenses to Foreclosure. We, we actually, my business partner and I just updated 27 legal defenses, but I, I published that in my 1L summer to help move along that process and help lawyers understand it. So my life for the last two decades has been all about uh, mortgage-related work, litigation, finance industry, that that not. So this is a focus. And it, it helped me out having that background and knowing where the bodies are buried, you know, when you're getting in and, and doing the other side of things when, when things blow up. Right, right. And can you tell us a little bit about your former life? I understand you owned a mortgage business. Yeah, yeah. The um, I had a business for a few years. In 2005, it, it collapsed. I took on more office space than I should have, and I ended up in bankruptcy and 
foreclosure and, and divorce shortly thereafter. So I have a very personal sense of what it's like for people to go through um, wow. through through difficult times. Yeah, and a lot of times, you know, people out there might think, well, you just pay your bills. And reality is, life's a lot more complicated. And and for my clients as well, it's 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 job loss. It's you know company. It's you know downsizing. It's injuries. It's you know a spouse that that loses income because of one of the one of the preceding. And um, and we all you know can fall on tough times in our lives. It manifests in different forms for different people, but that's what people are going through when they're facing foreclosure. And my clients generally want to get back up on on the horse and move forward and just pay their bills. And for whatever reason, the mortgage company's not willing to help. And that's that's really what my practice is about, is helping people get back on track. Okay. And how did some of those those experiences that you had prior to law school and your legal career, how did those help inform your, your practice? Well, uh, from a business standpoint, it's incredibly helpful. I mean, it's very tough lessons, but it's incredibly helpful to understand how to manage um, growth and manage expenses and, and revenue and how to track it, quite frankly. You know, first time around when you're starting a business, I think a lot of lawyers experience this also when they go out and start their own practice. You know, they do things in the opposite order. When you're first getting started, it's a lot. You're spending all your money on marketing. You're spending all your money on whatever it is for business. And you got to change the dynamic and start paying yourself first a certain, you know, dollar figure. And you get comfortable with that and you grow a little bit. So from a business standpoint, it was incredibly helpful for me to to go through um, and, and understand how to do things right. And thankfully, I haven't, I haven't repeated my prior mistakes as of yet. So <laughs> hopefully that holds. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, hopefully. Fingers crossed, right? So we're going to be talking together about your book, The Art of War, for lawyers, but you said you had another book, 23 Legal Defenses, and now you're updating it to 27. Can you tell listeners a bit about that book? Yeah, it's basically litigation defenses that are applied within the mortgage realm, um, covers uh, federal law, but also procedural um, civil rules and things that people can raise in order to defend an action. I'm in a judicial sales state, which means the banks have to file a foreclosure action in court in order to take the property. About half the states, they don't have to do that. But nevertheless, the book is designed to help people understand and basically audit their their loans and the process um, in order to to get deals done that they'd like to do and and um, to save their homes. Again, ultimately, it's to save their homes. And the book is geared towards the consumer, so to speak, rather than to other lawyers. Yeah, it's a little bit of both. You know, the feedback that I got was pretty pretty balanced between lawyers and consumers. It is awfully interesting to go back at it, look at it today, and um, and what I understand about the foreclosure side of the business, and update it significantly. But back then, again, there was really very few lawyers that had any experience doing this, so it was a brand new field for a lot of people. When I first got into it, a lot of people said, "How on earth are you going to make money?" And, and people were trying to discourage me to not get into the field. But I've always taken the view that you know you don't have to squeeze every ounce out of the orange, that I've lived comfortably, I make a fair amount of money, and I don't make everything that I could, but I'm also doing good work, I think, and I'm decently satisfied with with litigation and helping people out. Certainly happy helping people out. It's the litigation part that gets a little old sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, litigation uh, can be intense, and it's uniquely uh, stressful. It's like warfare. It's like warfare. I'm not ready for the segue yet, Troy, yeah, okay. but, but it is a lot like warfare. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, writing a book like that is great for branding, great for positioning yourself as an authority, but um, do you have any concern that writing a handbook like that, you know, you're, you're putting yourself out of business by putting that book out of there? 
You know, that that's an excellent question. And and I talk actually a lot about it when I talk to other lawyers about marketing. And, and the answer is no. You know, the people that are going to do pro se, people that are going to do it themselves, are going to do it themselves. They're, they just need some resources to help them. Um, if anything, it's the people that aren't going to do them themselves that, that want a, a counsel. Um, you you hit it right and nail right on the head when you said it's about um, rec- being recognized as an expert in this area. Uh, it has really helped me get clients in the door and and to where my my initial consultations with clients is not about fees it's not about you know it, it's it's about where they sign on the dotted line because that is a part of developing your persona your online persona really uh, of being competent in a particular area of law and people really recognizing you you know as smart in that and and, and good in that area Right. And I I suspect there's a fair number of clients who just see that you've written the book or maybe download a copy and maybe just page through it quickly. And then they're satisfied um, that you're an authority. I assume there's other clients, though, who are more sticklers and want to do the math a little bit themselves. Maybe they're not going to represent themselves, but they want to find out and are pleased to find out after going through your book that, that you really are an authority on these things. Yeah, it's a major differentiator, I think, um, for for everybody in the in the business. Everybody, it, it seems like the people that do this have some kind of thing that differentiates themselves from others, whatever practice area we do. Uh, but to add that into the mix is really helpful. And, and quite frankly, I don't give it away for free. I, I charge for it. It's available on Amazon. But I, I, maybe if I were more savvy at marketing, I would be giving it away for free. So so more people would give me a call and recognize that this is a complex area. I don't know. Um, but my next step is the, the the online course. I really think the the next level of, of marketing within um, the legal industry is, and really a lot of industries, is, is online learning and, and developing that. I know we'll talk about that later on, but the more that you can do to show yourself as really as an expert in the area, I think has, has been, at least in my own experience, has been helpful, very helpful. Right, right. Well, uh, let's talk about that a little bit now. I mean, do you want to tell listeners about your latest venture? Troy, I mean, just pausing here, you're obviously an idea guy, obviously um, a serial entrepreneur. You've got your law practice, but look, you've written two books on very different topics. You had one career, you've got your law career. It seems like you're one of these guys who's always thinking of something new and always doing something new. So love to hear more about this this online um, venture that you have going. I, you know, I, I appreciate that also. I do sort of hop from different things, but I, I also like to understand things before I get into it. I almost get to the point where I think when I understand a topic quite a bit and I feel comfortable with it, it almost gets a little boring sometimes where I got to jump around every few. I was also a military brat. I have to say that. I think this all comes from, I'll blame it on my childhood. Uh, you know, my dad was military. We moved around every three years. You know, you're torn from everything you know. You got to start over. And maybe that's sort of what what's continued on. But um, my latest thing, and and I do think this is the future. Other than AI, I think there's a, there's a, there's a whole area in AI, and you know more than that than I would. But e-learning is multi-billion-dollar industry right now. Um, I don't know of too many lawyers. I don't know of actually any lawyers that um, are in the specific space of teaching the public a specific slice of the law. Um, you know, your podcast is an ex- excellent example of, of of teaching litigation. And, and I know that your listeners really value it. And, and pro se litigants and, and you know, pro per litigants can, 
can listen in and understand and, and, and dissect it. But I think that from a practice standpoint, with me demonstrating maybe my expertise in an area, but also helping more people, is to teach, is to get online and to actually record videos and to teach. So the, the website that I have, elearning.law, right now I've, I've set it up for my own practice to get my foreclosure defense course out there. Although if you go on elearning.law, it's not .com, it's .law, I sort of have placeholders for different areas of law. And I would like to be able to build that site up to having various people, somebody like yourself with IP that wants to teach how to, um, how to you know, request a trademark. Again, the people that are going to do it themselves or want to do it themselves and maybe can't afford to pay you your regular fee, but could pay a couple hundred dollars and be outside your state because you're not UPL when you're when you're teaching online. You're not individually giving somebody legal advice that you end up getting more business and income, but you also, for the people that do want to hire you and do want to pay for you, they're more likely to hire you and pay you that full dollar figure because they're able to go online and see what an expert you are on it. So for me, the the book is is my validation that this is going to work. I, I know it is um, because there's a market out there for legal knowledge. Nolo does you know good deal. Even even look at Legal Zoom and and they do form based stuff. I think the next level is teaching what we know, you know, being professors for the public. Right. This is sort of a step up, a big step up from legal Zoom. It's it falls short of hiring an attorney. Not everyone needs to hire an attorney or is in a position to hire an attorney, but they have needs that go beyond downloading forms from legal Zoom. Absolutely. So you're at the front end, you're you've just launched this um website or well, I've launched the website. It's out there. Uh, my course is not, you're not necessarily going to see it live just yet, but I've got 45 lessons. I've got 20 hours worth of material, 60 different downloads. Like my lesson's called uh, the Complete Foreclosure Defense Course. So it's it's everything. It's talking about um, way opposing counsel is going to view things, the different kinds of banks and mortgage companies and how they might review loss mitigation applications. It's as judges and how they're going to view your, your case. It's it's also obviously the civil rules, the rules of evidence, walking through which ones are most important, and then also defenses themselves. My book goes into 27. I talk about 18 in different courses, sort of the, the meat and potatoes of what we do, but you, I walk through it for everybody. So somebody, certainly a lawyer that wants to do this, who who needs to understand this and want to get wants to get up to speed really quickly, you know, it's it's two decades of my life boiled down into 20 hours, and it really hits on the major points that that can be beneficial for somebody facing foreclosure. So both lawyers as well as individuals can help. So it's elearning.law. I actually, um, I have reserved masterclass.law. That's that's the next, next thing, as well as ai.law. That's the next, next thing. But at this point, uh, my idea is to get um, elearning.law up. And if there's some lawyer that is listening to this and wants to teach a class, wants to do something, put it online, you know, shoot me an email. Um, you can reach me out through that site and I'm happy to, happy to help, happy to chat. Hey guys, I want to take a moment to tell you about our sponsor, Fort's Legal Support. As busy litigators, there are never enough hours in the day. Why use a bunch of different legal support providers when there's one you can trust for all your needs? Need a process server in Chicago or a trial presentation specialist in LA? How about a court reporter in Dallas or a computer forensic expert in Atlanta? Forts Legal has you covered. I use Forts Legal in my litigation practice. They are responsive, economical, and ready to help every step of the way. 
By leveraging cutting-edge technology and best-of-class resources, Force Legal is a trusted partner of solo attorneys and AmLaw 100 law firms alike. Contact Force Legal today to learn how their team can assist your law practice. Visit them at fortslegal.com. That's F-O-R-T-Z-L-E-G-A-L.com. Or call 844-730-4066. Well, I want to talk to you about your other book, The Art of War for Lawyers. I was excited when I ran across that. Not only because of its theme, which is an obvious connection to the title and the theme of this podcast, but also my own background in a former life, I studied and taught philosophy. Now, I didn't specialize in Chinese philosophy, so you can be the professor uh, today, but I was very interested in that. And um, I read the book prior to this podcast. I've read The The Art of War before, and it's interesting. The format's interesting. Um, It's almost like... a medieval commentary. On one side, you have the the original text um, from Sun Tzu, the the uh, author of the Art of War. And on the other side, we have your commentary and application for lawyers. I didn't know what to expect, um, but when I cracked it open, I thought that was that was a great format because it lets the reader directly see the text that you're commenting on, and then see how you've you've applied it to the practice of law. It was important to me to do it that way. So as I got writing this, um, is that there's some draw to make my own specific commentary on how to employ this or that, you know, how to do this specific thing in discovery that I've done or how to do this specific thing. And and and, and I, I, I pushed away from it. And in the end, I took all that out. I had some of it done because I, it was important to me to keep it consistent with what Sung Su did because sort of of the... Uh, the genius of how he wrote it. You know, it's this manual about wisdom versus this perception of brutality where you're just trying to beat the other side to bloody pulp. Like the people, there's a misconception about what it's what it is and what it's about. Let's pause for a second and just make sure that listeners are on the same page. What is the art of war? Yeah, good question. So it's a 2,500-year-old manuscript Sung Su put together on warfare, on how to actually conduct warfare. Um, as I mentioned, sometimes people think that it's about um, how to go in and bludgeon the other side or you know, use a stick or use an axe or a bow and arrow. It doesn't do anything like that. Instead, what it talks about is the overarching, the mile-high view of warfare. It's about the, the costs on the state, you know, the country engaging in warfare. Uh, on the defense, it talks about you know the cost of marching. It also goes into the different factors and and what um, what you can be cognizant of when you're walking into this in order to maximize your chance of success on the other side. It it talks about spies and you know and terrain and and you know woods versus swamp and whatnot. But for the most part, it lays out this landscape for somebody to really internalize and understand the nature of litigation, the nature of people, the nature of conflict, um, the nature of the world, you know, and, and how we all interact together in it. That's what this book is about. That's what this manual is about. And because he kept it so topical, you're able to apply each thought process in a creative and different way. And really, it's written to where you can have a copy, your opponent can have a copy, but you can still one side or the other can still completely fail to understand the words on the pages because without that wisdom and that really nature understanding of of the world, that's what puts it all into perspective and that's what really makes it powerful. 
Uh, oh, to answer your question, what is it? Ultimately, is that it's a manual where where commanders, generals can understand the forces of the world and nature in order to to win. You said something when we were communicating by email in advance of this interview that I thought was interesting, which was you, you'll say it better than I did, but but something to the effect of. It's written at such a level of generality that in order to appreciate it and to apply its principles, one has to have some experience oneself. To somebody who's completely inexperienced in the art of war, this manual is not going to do much for that person. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's that's my take on it. Is because it, it doesn't say go here and you know point you know bow arrow here you know there and shoot. Instead, it's you know it says you've got to be cognizant of the different formations that are possible within the the armies. And if you don't know what the formation is or what the effects of that formation are on an attack or on a defense, then you're not going to be able to uh, properly employ the the formation in order to maximize the chance of success. So ultimately, somebody who doesn't doesn't understand you know warfare or whatever it might be can take it up, take list up, you know read it and take a lot uh, take nothing from it versus somebody who's really familiar with the way everything works can take a whole lot. Um, and that, I thought that was always very interesting about it also that you and your opponent could have this manual but with their very different outcomes based on your understanding of the the fundamentals. Right. What made you want to write this book? Um, I, I, I don't, I've been fascinated by it for a long time, and, and um, what, what I ended up doing was I read the original manual several times, and I, I found that I was taking notes in each one. Like, it, it's, not a, it's not something that you read once and you say, okay, now I got it. You know, it's something where you read each section, and you, you have to think about it, and you can mill it over and, and spend hours on, on individual concepts of what does that really mean? How does that, you know, how does that get employed? And, and that's what I found myself doing is I, I was reading it over and over. I was making indications in it and little notations. And then I realized, well, shoot, I have enough here to, to put it all into written format, maybe for a little bit of my own benefit. But once I got into it, I was like, well, why don't I just keep going and, and make the book out of it as well? Um, so that's how it came about. And, and it, it was a joy to write. I was happy to be done with it. I mean, any book when you write it, uh, who's done that, you know yeah. when you're happy to be done. But writing it, is, is, it was fun. Well, I'd like to talk about it a bit. I mean, there's no way we can possibly plumb the depths of Sun Tzu's book or of your own book in our short time together. But just to kind of give readers a taste, I'd like to talk about what you call the five factors for success in battle. Can you kind of walk us through uh, those? And in particular, how they apply to not just a literal battle, but, but to litigation practice. Absolutely. Yeah. In the very first, I, I love it. I mean, you know, the very first pages, very first couple of sentences of Sung Su's manual, Lang Plans, he talks about these um, conditions on the field which determine which side wins and which side loses. There are these five factors. Sung Su lays them out as the moral law, heaven, earth, the commander, and then methods and discipline. So Sung Su lists these out, literally lists these out, and then he explains each one what they are. And I'll, I'll give you my correlation in, in law here in just a second. But Sung Su says the moral law is the people and whether or not they're in accordance with the ruler so that they follow him regardless of their lives, undismayed by any danger. Heaven is the night and day, cold and heat, times of the season. Earth is the distances, great and small. And commanders, ultimately, the generals, you know, who's involved with, with actually running the show. And for law, it's very similar. You know, for, for the moral law, I talk about the justness of the cause. 
heaven is the court. It's the judge. It's the seasons. You you might have control over where which jurisdiction you file in, but you can't pick the individual judge unless you're in a very small jurisdiction. You can't pick the staff attorneys, um, but you can maybe direct it a little bit. You know which season you're marching in. You've got the the facts of the case, which I call Earth. It's the the client, the opposing party, the applicable law that you're dealing with. It's the terrain in which you're going to be engaged on the Earth, if you will. The commander is the attorneys in charge. This including their ability and their resources. Big firm, small firm, and finally you have methods and discipline, which I equate to systems and discipline in, in, in place within the individual law firm that you're at, and then also the other side. Is it disorganized? Is it together? And who are the people and the resources that they have to manage that that systems? Maybe a little bit of communications. So Sung Su says, with these five things, you can determine what the outcome is. And if you think about law and litigation, you can determine the outcome with these five things. You can look at whether or not the, the cause that you're fighting is, is just. Is it going to resonate with a jury or, or whoever the fact finder is? Which court, you know, who is your judge? Who are the staff attorneys that are involved? What are your facts of your case? Who are the lawyers involved? And then are they organized or not? Like that pretty much is the whole universe of litigation, of determining whether or not you're going to win or lose. But Sung Su did something really cool that goes beyond this. One that he says to you, you not only have to understand these five things, but you should rate them. Rate them on a scale of one to five uh, against each other. You know, which side is more just? Which side, you know, do you think the court, the judge is going to favor? And then he took it one step further and he said, don't just scale them, rate them, but weigh them. So you get in and you say, okay, the justice society is really on my, really, really on my side, but um, the attorneys involved, the other side just is far superior of, of counsel. So even though justice might be on your side, you've got to balance it out or, or evaluate it on a weight schedule against the attorneys. And, and if you do that, and if you're capable of doing that, you probably understand this manual pretty well, you're able to come out with a resolution and say, okay, here is what we can what what is likely to come out of it. And then ultimately you can make a decision as the attorney, as the general in charge of litigation on how to proceed and whether or not to proceed. One of the very first things in, in the or the third chapter is that the pinnacle of uh, a general's career or general's ability is that they're able to win without engaging in warfare whatsoever. And I think that in order to come to that determination, you've got to base it on these these five factors, or you can use these five factors in order to come to that next step. What I have found in my own practice, litigating a lot of a lot of cases, is the number one thing on here. You have five factors, but one of them stands out as the key, most important, and that's the judge. And, and consumer litigation, I can tell you which way I'm going to, you know, the case is going to go based on which judge. Unfortunately. Once you do a couple hundred cases in front of the same, you know, general judges, you, you you're going to have a good sense of where they are. But Sung Su also talks about that, you know, and I sort of call that the last chapter, spies, but not really spies. And and but it, there are people on the ground who understand the lay of the land, who the players are, where they are, and what their perspectives are. The local council, right? I mean, you're you're litigating someplace else. You want to have that local council as that local flavor in order to to maximize your chance of success. Right. And going back to the point you made earlier, Ron, that this book is not just about crushing your opponent, which, hey, you know, crushing our opponents, 
That's great when we can do it, right? But sometimes you are outmatched. Sometimes justice is not in your favor. Sometimes you you have a judge that you know is really just not going to favor um, your client. So it's not just about winning per se, but about maybe getting the best possible result for your client, given the realities of the case, the jurisdiction, the facts, everything else, your own resources, the other side's resources, and being able to make an adequate, full uh, assessment, and then to proceed accordingly as far as you need to go and, and hopefully no farther. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's about objectives. It's setting your objective, your client's objective, really, is is X. And how are you going to reach that? And, and I think that's really what Sung Su's manual is about. It's about meeting X. It's about objectives. You know, as I said, he says in the manual, the pinnacle of success is not using the book at all. It's, it's being such a, a force that you're walking in and you're getting settlements, you're getting a resolution, you're meeting your client's objective without even firing a shot. Because the, the that's the third chapter. The second chapter is about the cost associated with litigation, cost associated with warfare. You know, it is incredibly expensive to go out there, both, you know, for your client, but also really for your, your firm and, and sacrificing other opportunities. I think that that you know when we talk about litigation and lawyers and 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 in objectives, we have to throw money in the mix here. And I think that that's somewhat important to, to recognize that that you know, sometimes lawyers can get clients' objectives and, and the money objective melt mixed together a little bit. And I think to a certain degree, Sung Su talks about that also and really warns the parties against it. You know, warns again because that's, that's a low level of of actual litigation. If you're talking about warfare, if you're talking about litigation, the money piece of it as an objective really doesn't come into play if you're talking about winning and you're talking about maximizing the chance of, of your client's success. Because if your focus is on that money or, or the, the the financial enrichment for yourself, then you're not focusing on other things that you should be focusing on to, to maximize success. Sometimes I like to say that some lawyers treat litigation as a game of chess and other lawyers treat it as a game of foosball. And <laughs> I certainly uh, like to think of myself as being in the chess camp, although foosball-style litigation, I think of that as a strategy. Sometimes going fast and furious and moving quickly and perhaps chaotically and, and um, overwhelming your opponent it can be an effective strategy. But if that's your only mode um, in litigation, um, that very quickly can become ineffective. All that to say, litigation is very much about strategy. I think you'd agree with that. I think Sun Tzu would say that that warfare really, really is about strategy. Can you say a little bit more about Sun Tzu's view of, of the importance of, of strategy as it relates to warfare and, and, and then also how it applies to, to litigation practice? Yeah, and I think you're hitting uh, some of my favorite points in the book and, and favorite sort of, of concepts. You know, to strategy it's, a, it's about misdirection. It, you know, you talked about like strength and moving quickly or not quickly. It talks about all that as well. I mean, there's whole, there's whole sections on, do you go quickly? Do you, do you feign strength? If you're weak, you feign strength. If you're strong, you, you feign weakness. You know, if you're together, you feign confusion. The objective, again, is to, is to develop this, this overarching strategy or this overarching concept of, of winning moving forward that has a lot more moving pieces. Sung Tzu talks about uh, the five primary colors and that there are five primary colors, but you can mix those five colors into an infinite number of options. And it's the same in litigation. We have maybe 15 different kinds of motion, 15, 20 different 
different motions total that we deal with. You know, there's only a certain finite number of causes of action, only a finite number of elements, but there's so many different variations of how those things are played out that you do want to strategize. You do want to think about them initially at the beginning in order to plan it out. And this isn't brain, that's not brain surgery for I know your listeners who are, you know, are litigators, but it's interesting how the concepts that we live by really can be condensed down into a series of, of rules in a, a book, a manual that, that we can look at and say, oh yeah, I remember that. I talked about strategy a little bit more in depth. You know, Sung Soo talks about the hothead. There's a few paragraphs in there. He doesn't, he doesn't talk about too many different kinds of personalities, but he talks about the hothead. And it seems like we have a few of those and you know, a personalities in our line of work. And it's fascinating because you can manipulate hotheads. It's like they don't recognize sometimes that that's a fundamental weakness in how they approach life and in their client's case. And if you can recognize that they're just going to argue with you or take the flip side of whatever you put out there, they can be manipulated. I remember one guy, I, I always remember one case I was litigating against. He had been whacked by the judge in a case, Sue Spontane by the court in one of my cases, sanctioned for filing this thing. I had nothing to do with it, but I happened to be on the other side, the lawyer representing the consumer. And um, and he had he had just he still does I'm sure to this day um, a bone you know he has it out for me and whenever I'm on a case or my firm is he'll substitute him for whoever else is on his client side just to just to you know poke us on the side but he is such a hothead that it's almost like beneficial for my clients because whatever I do, I know he's going to take the opposite side of it. Well, you can you can box somebody in that way when you're doing it. I remember being in a deposition with him. You know, and the rules were seven hours. You get seven hours, seven And we skipped lunch so I could make sure he's got seven hours. And I kept warning him, look, you know, guy, you got... You got a half an hour left. You got 15 minutes left. You got five, you know, and then then for seven hours, I said to my client, okay, let's stand up, let's leave. And he wanted to, he was pounding the tables and, you know, let the record reflect Mr. Doucette is standing up and walking towards the door and all that, <laughs> you know, and then he wanted to go to the court and move for sanctions. And and I said, I'll be happy to respond to that. In fact, if he files this motion, I'll respond back with my own motion for sanctions. And of course, in any of our files, and then he hits on Haas because he's already been whacked once by a judge, and he backs off of it. That's understanding what the rules are, and understanding you know where you're, where you are, and what the other side is allowed to do or not allowed to do, and him not recognizing or being so jaded by the fact that he was mad or wanted to dig into me, and he didn't know what his own limitations were. Right, and those limitations put him at a disadvantage uh, against a skillful advocate, and also make him predictable. Yes. And that's the whole point, or one of the one of the themes of the art of war, is um, not telegraphing to the opponent what you're going to be do next. But there's certain people who have such a pronounced and obvious approach to litigation that you can always see what they're going to do next, and that doesn't always serve their own cause well. And it, it serves actually as a fun as as almost a a personality defect. I mean, in the sense that some time this guy's you know got sanctioned by a judge once. I mean. You just can't approach life and litigation like that and not have it catch up to you. You know, there's that old saying, you're not getting away with it. You're just adding counts to the indictment. And I think uh, Avenetti, who's in in the news right now, and it's just, you know, there, there you have to be wise about litigation. You have to be wise about lawsuits and about where your client is. I remember one case I brought. It was um, it was we were filed as a class class action, and the the opposing counsel partnered a very prominent firm here locally for us. 
we were settled within three or four weeks. And a gigantic, I was shocked, a gigantic number for not having to litigate it. Usually I've got to fight tooth and nail to get to six figures. And and he still, every time I talk to him randomly, you know, the past couple of years, he talks about me, you know, what a great, you know, settlement was. That's not to talk about me. I'm trying, I'm not trying to brag here, here on it, but rather to re- reflect that this other lawyer was willing to uh, end his client's financial losses or potential losses in the future by doing a deal, even though he himself maybe didn't walk away with the biggest paycheck he could have if he litigated out for a few months, you know, a few more months, but that it happened to be a, a wise decision within, you know, the, the for him and his client. That's also really uh, a top level of litigation from a defense side is where you're not expending your client's resources on cases that, that are losers, you know, that for the sake of your own benefit. It's interesting. So, I mean, the best scenario is to win without fighting. But is there a time and a place for strapping on the armor and going into war and expending massive resources and, and getting bloodied up? Yeah, you just have to prepare for it. You have to understand what the lay of the land is, what the objectives are, how much your clients will want to spend, and, and what their risk and reward are. And if you want to go in and bet the company, you know, kind of case, then then do it. I mean, there's Art of War is not telling you not to do that. It's just telling you that you need to understand what you're getting into and be aware of the risks and rewards before you do it. And if you're aware of those, and then have at it. My clients, I, I represent a consumer-facing foreclosure. You, I mean, there's there's not a lot that risk that my clients have and balls of the wall, you know, pedal the metal litigation and see what shakes out of the tree. And I have got some phenomenal, I've got free houses for my clients, plus six figures in cash, not a whole lot of them, but they're out there. You know, and, and you know, when you... When you got nothing to lose and you got counsel that's willing to go at it, you know, there's, there's, you can meet your client's objectives by doing things. I don't think in cases in terms of winning and losing to that same perspective, you know, especially representing people in foreclosure. Maybe that's some reason why other lawyers, more experienced lawyers, won't get into this area because they don't like losing. But I don't think in terms of winning and losing. I think in terms of meeting clients' objectives. Even if I lose at the trial court level, I take an appeal, and I, I universally get settlements and appeal, but that are better than what I. Offers at a trial court level, but I but I litigate when I'm when I'm comfortable that I have a good case that that the law and facts are on my side. Now the judge doesn't always agree with me, more so than not. But I get I'll eke out some wins and I get some some neat cases out of there that help people out. But it's you know it's, it's warfare, as we said. It's warfare. It is warfare. At the end of the day, another question that I have for you on this, I could talk to you about this topic uh, all day, and I'm sure you could too, but. A question that I have, Sun Tzu talks a lot about secrecy. He talks a lot about misdirection, at times even about deception. And I think you certainly made reference to secrecy and misdirection yourself. What do you say to those who would say, well, well, these strategies are not fitting for a lawyer or not consistent with our, our professional obligations? How does that fit in with our obligations to be civil, to be candid, and so forth? There, there's two things to that, and, and I've got sort of two examples and two points. One is that if you're able to keep your strategy secret, but you figure out what the other side is, or you know what the other side's going to go at, then you are able to um, focus all of your energies 
at one point, whereas the other side has to attack or defend all points, right? Because they don't know where you are, but you know where they are. And I'll give you an example. I don't think it's necessarily an ethical issue, but I had a lawsuit once where I had one claim that I really wanted to to win on, that I really wanted to, that I was really going to focus on. But I knew that if I put that in front of opposing counsel, that one, if I filed the lawsuit and just had that one claim in there, that counsel would focus in on it, probably figure out what I had in mind with it, and and really. Uh, put a lot of energy in to that particular point. So instead, what I did was I added seven other claims that were all valid, you know, uh, strong, some are stronger than weaker. And then I put the ruin I really wanted that really would yield me long-term beneficial results at the end. Because I figured, because I knew that, you know, even if I filed summary judgment or motion to dismiss, they would have to spend so much energy on eight different, addressing eight different counts, that that one at the back, if they took it in order that I was putting it, wouldn't get very much uh, energy or time. And lo and behold, the filed a motion dismissed, and that's exactly what they did. They, you know, it was 20, 30 pages long, and the one claim they spent half a page on because it was last, and, and it's like, you know how a lawyer, you know when we write briefs, we trail off at the end, we get put all our energy. So I think that's that's the point of understanding that your stuff is is secret and the other the other side you know what they are and then also example the second thing that i talk about with regards to secrecy and misleading the other side is sort of what i talked about already with that one lawyer who's a hothead that you can do things to box them into particular positions but i'll give you another example another one of my cases i had a, a new associate ta- uh, defending a deposition for a homeowner that was facing foreclosure he owned his own business and um, he had his tax returns prepared for him but the the other side, the bank's lawyer, very savvy lawyer, one of the best lawyers actually in Ohio for for representing banks, was taking the deposition. And during the deposition, that that lawyer brought out you know exhibit after exhibit. But one of the big th- exhibits that he focused on was our client's tax returns, and talking about effectively accusing our client of tax fraud and le- loan fraud, arguing that he didn't present all of the addenda necessary to file this particular kind of return. And he, my, you know, our client was arguing with him with a little bit during the, the deposition, but he just kept going at it and going, good portion of litigation. The associate came back and was so bothered by this whole exchange that our client had been alleged you know, fraud that they actually did. They went out to the CPA that prepared it and had the CPA draft the letters saying, this is appropriate that they did this tax return correctly and this is all the addenda that were necessary were all attached. And this new associate wanted to ship that off to this lawyer to show them, hey, look, we're all good. You know, we didn't commit fraud. And I said, I, before I got wind of it, I put a stop to that. I said, why on earth would we want to do that? That lawyer is going down a rabbit hole of something that not only is wrong, is incorrect, but it's not relevant to the claims or defenses of the case. Is there payment or not payment? Why don't we step back, not pocket that letter, let opposing counsel file a long summary judgment, spend pages on how our client committed fraud, and then whack them over the head with the letter at that point? Get an affidavit from the CPA, obliterate the credibility of the argu- of the lawyer's argument, and then you obliterate the uh, credibility of all the other things that they're saying in there, including about default. You know that's a, that's a mechanism of secrecy or or misdirection, or I should say, um, not presenting all the facts that you need to to allow the other side to go down a rabbit hole that you know they're they're doing themselves. Right. Let them hang themselves. That's exactly right. 
It's fun, isn't it? I mean, it's neat. These are these are all our war stories. We all love to talk about. I mean, lawyers can talk forever about <laughs> all the different. But ultimately, our war stories are about how we how we won up the other side. You know how we how we did it differently, or you know, or the great result. And but it's about how we got it also. And, and it's the how that that is really condensed into to this manual that. Sung Su wrote about warfare. It's it's just fascinating to me, and it's an academic exercise. I'm more of a technician almost than I am a, a trial lawyer. I'm a litigator. I, I like the the technicalities of, of of this kind of thing. It's it's fun. It's neat. Absolutely. You used the word fun a couple of times, and I agree with you. I think litigation is a lot of fun. And as litigators, we all have uh, long days, hard days, stressful days. The tough days, we may have them more often than not. Um, and we hear a great deal about the difficulties of being a lawyer and being a litigator in particular and the burdens and all of that. And all of that's very real. And all of those things, you know, those are things that we need to come to terms with are, are the personal challenges that, that we face as litigators. But you know what? Litigation, when you're doing it right, is a lot of fun. And it's satisfying. As long as the judge is agreeing with you, I mean, that is, makes a whole lot more fun. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. When you do it smart, when you get great results for your clients because of the, not just working hard, but because you're working smart, because you're applying strategy. There are a few things that are more satisfying than that, at least in my book. Yeah, that's why we're in this profession, I suppose. Troy, I've really appreciated it. And hey, you, you've done great considering that you're sleep deprived. You just had a, a new addition to your home. Yeah, four days ago, my wife uh, gave birth to my third daughter, uh, Maria. So I have been up a little bit overnight, and uh, this was important. I wanted to make sure I made it in the office. Uh, the baby's sleeping. My my mom has our other child. So, but I appreciate you reaching out and, and asking me to do this. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, and um, thank you. I'll just say thank you. Good. Well, congratulations to you and to your wife and to your family. We talked a little bit about your elearning.net, not com. Dot law. law. I screwed dot it up again. E-learning.law. E-learning right. law. Well, now listeners definitely won't get it wrong. E-learning.law. I was going to ask where listeners can find you. They can find you there. Where else can they find you? Yeah, my um, my web, my uh, business website is Lone Lawyer, L-O-A-N, lawyer.law. We have a lot of dot laws. Um, my books are on Amazon. There's 27 legal defenses to foreclosure and the art of war for lawyers. Yeah, if anybody wants to reach out to me, my email is troy at lonelawyer.law. It's a great way to, to get a hold of me. Well, again, um, I appreciate your insights. I appreciate the lively conversation. Thank you very much, Troy, for joining us on The Litigation War Room. Thanks, Max. You have been listening to The Litigation War Room with litigation attorney Maxwell Goss. Maxwell Goss represents clients in intellectual property and business cases in Michigan and around the country, bringing forceful advocacy and creative solutions to every case he handles. For show notes and more episodes, please visit us at thelitigationwarroom.com. That's thelitigationwarroom.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to The Litigation War Room. And please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. The Litigation War Room, including the podcast and all website content and social media on all platforms, is for informational and entertainment purposes only. This podcast does not provide legal advice and does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship under any circumstance. All views, opinions, and statements expressed by guests are those of the guests making them and not those of the Litigation War Room.